Yeah, I just look the same colour as the wall. I stand still, I fade into the wall. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Great Things with Great Tech, the podcast highlighting companies doing great things with great technology. My name is Anthony Spiteri, and in this episode, we're talking to a company that is cloud-native application security leader, and today enables 2.2 million developers to build securely. Now, they have a vision to empower every modern developer in the world to develop first and stay secure. That company, in a short history, has raised $750 million and already has done four acquisitions and is most recently valued at about $5 billion. That company is Sneak, and I'm talking to Lawrence Crowther, Head of Solution Engineering for APJ. Welcome to the show, Lawrence. Yeah, thanks for having, it, uh, for having me, Anthony. Nice to be here. Awesome, good stuff. So just before we talk about Sneak and security and DevSecOps, we'll talk a little bit about what that all means. Um, you know, if you like great things with great tech and would like to feature in future episodes, you can click on the link in the show notes or go to launch.gtwgt.com and register your interest. Just as a reminder, all episodes are available on the GTWGT YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed yet, click to the link at the bottom. And GTWGT is on all popular podcasting platforms, distributed via Anchor FM, um, but also obviously it goes out to Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the great podcasting platforms. And that will keep you up to date with all previous 32 episodes. So with that, let's get into Sneak. Um, and Lawrence, let's firstly go into the history because you know, Sneak was, is a company, it's, it's not too old, um, founded in 2015. But before we dive into some of the initial history and facts, just tell us about the name. The number one, you know, where it came from, but also I've, I've pronounced it right, but let's talk a little bit about that because I think it's one of those companies where when you look at the name, the pronunciation isn't that obvious to start with. So let's kick off with that. Yeah, good question. Uh, it is pronounced sneak and it stands for, so now you know, uh, think of sneak, sneakers. Some people in Europe call it sneak, sneak uh, but yeah. most most yeah, most people in Asia Pacific and, and the US, North America, uh, pronounce it sneak. I guess you can think of it, you know, you're sneaking around the, the applications or network. So it has a double, double meaning there. Um, but no, it, it, it stands for, so now you know, which is sort of a, I guess, a, a geeky security type term as well. Yeah, that's, it's quite cool. It's like, it's obvious, right? So now you know. Um, it's like, so don't you know about the name? Well, now you know. So that's quite a great play on it as well. And to be fair, I actually thought sneak, like, yeah, like you know, like sneaking around the network. I thought that was where it actually was more derived from, like just a cool way to say that. But the fact that it kind of forms like, so now you know, that's even cooler in terms of name. So, you know, this company, like you guys have, have won some great accolades already in a short period of time. So CNBC's Disruptor 50 in 2021, um, Forbes top 100 cloud companies 2020. Um, you know, there's all sorts of you know even happiest employees. So Sneak, from the outside, is doing something well. So let's talk about the founding and history leading up to today, and exactly why the company has been built up to you know be quite successful today, and is now pretty much a market leader in the space. So um, in 2015, Sneak was founded by Guy Pajani. Um, you know, and his sort of belief was that the future of security depended on developer adoption. So Lawrence, just maybe talk a little bit about that and, you know, why the company was founded and, you know, it's growth since then. Yeah. I mean, Guy uh, was kind of a visionary in this space, had, had sold a company previously to, to Akamai in a similar space and had worked in sort of 
application security sort of most of his career. So definitely a well-known figure in the industry. And what he saw with the existing sort of uh, scanning tools in the market is that they weren't built for developers. So he took the opportunity to build what he calls a dev first uh, security company. In fact, if you hear him these days, he, he talks about Sneak being actually more of a developer tooling company than an actual security company, which is an interesting yeah, okay. uh, concept yeah. we, can, we can sort of dig into yeah. later. But essentially, and we'll cover this in more detail, is we integrate closely with a developer tool chain. So it all makes, almost makes Sneak invisible uh, such that they can get on and deliver features into production without having those traditional security gates that are imposed by the traditional uh, security vendors. Okay. So, so through the company's history, I mean, early 2015, the company's building a product. Um, 2016, you're scaling R&D, um, you know, looking to, you know, the product is receiving the community. Um, and then into 2017, you sort of were starting to break into, you know, the, 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 that mid-market SMB, um, and you're trying to sort of build mindshare in the developer community. Um, well, what does that mean in the, in the developer world? Because obviously, you know, me being uh, platform infrastructure, you know, I kind of understand how companies see themselves um, with, with certain models and certain go-to-markets in their early years. But what did that mean from a sneak point of view? Yeah, I think we started with the SMB and, and sort of the, the tech companies or the digital natives because they didn't have the legacy and they, they can obviously build on the cloud first. But what, what they do have in common with, with all companies actually is building their applications using open source libraries effectively. So that's really where we, we started and, and uh, cut our teeth is is building a, a tool to help scan the open source software that you're using in a project. Okay. Yeah. And the, the, the reason why this is tricky is because if you start using open source libraries, then themselves bring in other dependencies from the internet that you don't know who's written the code, what it's doing, yeah. right? Or where is it yeah. in, your, in your project? Um, so a lot of companies leave themselves exposed because they have this huge dependency tree of open source software and that's where actually most of the vulnerabilities lie in those dependencies. Yeah, and I kind of equate that to in my world, you know, if I'm, um, if I'm deploying a, like a package on Linux specifically, right, and, you know, I'm trying to compile something, um, you know, and then it goes, okay, you haven't got dependency X, um, go download that. And then that kind of follows down the tree of then dependency two, three, four, and you just kind of blindly go and download these things because you think you, you need them or you need them, right? But thinking back and, you know, I've just, I mean, just kind of put this together, you know, it could be anything that you're getting, right? Like, I mean, anything, anything could be in there, but you kind of blindly accept that this is required and this is part of your compiling procedure and then it's in the system and then, you know, forever may it be until it lives until there could be something, you know, hiding within that that causes some sort of security issue later on. So is, is that kind of a similar, similar analysis? Absolutely, 100%, yeah. yeah. I mean, ha hackers know that, people aren't checking all these vulnerabilities. So there's lots of different techniques that um, attackers will use to exploit open source software. They're in the most common uh, open source packages that you use, but developers and you know, security teams are simply unaware that they're even using these malicious um, libraries in the first place. Yeah, good stuff. So yeah, moving just through the history before we get into the guts of you know, what you guys do. Um, so in 2018, it's when you sort of ramped up sales. Um, which is interesting, right? So for the first three years, it's really just about product, um, getting it out there, developing it, finding the, the space in the market. Um, 
along the way, you've been able to, you know, secure some funding. Uh, I mentioned 750 million, which is a tremendous amount of, of funding. I think it's up to what Series E funding at the moment as well, from, yeah, from what I saw. Um, and then in 2019 is when I think, you know, you guys really came to the fore, definitely came on my radar. Um, we've got like a little bit of a link here in terms of, you know, the uh, VMRI work. Um, my ex-CEO, Peter McKay, is now your CEO. So there's a great link there. Um, but in 2019, it's when you really scaled, you go to market, you, 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 I think you hired Peter in late, um, or Peter came on board, he was, in, he was involved in the company beforehand. But that's when it, I guess you guys really started your proper go to market. So, you know, what kind of flipped around in that period of time to really make you guys, you know, effectively the powerhouse that you are today? Yeah, so we, we went from a single product company into a dual product uh, and started to build out a, a platform. So as I mentioned, you know, the first product was all around that open source scanning. We saw a, a big shift in people adopting containers. Yeah. Uh, maybe we got there too late, 2019. You know, there was already widespread, uh, widespread adoption of containers. But we, we built a product to specifically scan your container images as well. Okay. Um, you mentioned Linux, right? Obviously, most of the world's containers are built on Linux. Um, which also bring in open source shared libraries into that runtime environment. Yes. Uh, yes. And then you're running your applications on, on, on top of that. So we, we scan the whole thing. So we, we wanted to really enter that sort of cloud native uh, security space as people were sort of containerizing workloads and shifting yep. to microservices running in the cloud. Um, we needed actually to become part of that um, movement because developers actually were taking ownership of this uh, phenomenon as well, right? Because, you know, developers sort of dictate how those containers get constructed and what software is ultimately going to run on those containers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and developers are sort of defining how that works in production even. So yeah. we needed to provide a, another set of tooling for developers to, to keep the, you know, the code safe. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's, you know, I've, I've, I've been talking to quite a few um, container containerization companies, Kubernetes companies, um, and that you're, you're right. That cloud native um, landscape is is tremendously broad. It's kind of like it's still it's still kind of the wild west, right? There's just so much fluidity in it. Um, there's so many different moving parts, so many different companies, so many open source projects, you know, contributing to it. That you're right. It, it, it must be like a nightmare for for a security guy to basically, you know, be across that. But the problem is with the security guys, um, typically they're not the devs, right, as well. Like you've got a security guy who's a very set in his way. Um, he's coming from a particular, he's cut from a particular cloth. Developers, I think, you know, we, we all know can be a little bit, um, what's the word, gun-ho. Um, they're a little bit mercenary-like. Um, they're just doing their thing. So, and because we've kind of almost flipped the script and in the world of, you know, cloud native and the world of containerization, they're in control of the direction of the application. And, you know, they're dictating the way that the businesses are going. I mean, one of the um, topics, one of the narratives that I wanted to talk about was sneaking exists in a, in a world where, you know, applications and software is consuming and becoming the number one focus of all businesses, really, because, you know, or any business worth their salt is now going to basically have a core line of business software running somewhere. And typically it's not an off the shelf product. It's something that they're internally developing, especially if you're in that higher sort of enterprise sort of SME level. Um, what's, what, what bridge does Sneak offer to sort of say, okay, here's a developer, 
here's a security guy, here's the platform guy, how does Sneak interact with that? Yeah, I mean, the question, I guess, is what is the, the role of these personas, right, in the new world, developer security and operations, for that matter, right? Um, and I think we'll, we'll get into more detail later, but essentially the, the role of the security architect is shifting into uh, providing the tooling and the infrastructure that, and the guidelines, if you will, for developers to sort of work within. Uh, traditionally, security folks would be engaged late in a project yeah. life cycle yeah. as sort of the penultimate or the last thing you need to do before you go to production. Um, and what we're seeing a shift in though is, is security folks getting involved from day one, uh, as well as op you know, operations folks or DevOps folks, um, so they can define the guidelines uh, and have, be on the same page in terms of what they need to do to sort of develop fast, but stay secure and, and get those applications to production as quick as possible yeah. uh, without sort of compromising any, um, any internal process or uh, breaking any, any sort of production uh, rules or anything like that. Yeah. And I think um, the, the best way to articulate, I think, what you just said is, um, and what I'll do in the, in the show notes, I'll post a link to, um, you've got a great page on your website that shows you, I think it shows you three or four of your products and basically shows what they do. Um, I think that's the best visualization to actually appreciate what you guys do the most, because it certainly was what I used to kind of fully understand where you guys fit in that process. Um, but you're right, what you talked about, you know, from the from a injecting yourselves um, during the coding stage, I mean, you're in, the, you're in those kind of coding tools like Visual Studio. Um, you're basically preempting any potential um, threat before it goes into a staging or before it goes into a production scenario with, with a live piece of software, which is obviously when it's at its um, most dangerous because then it is unleashed on the network, it's open, it's exposed. So you guys are kind of making sure that everything is in check before it actually goes into prod. Um, You've also got infrastructure as code tooling as well. Um, that kind of came um, in the last year. So, you know, how does that fit into it as well? Is that just kind of a yeah. similar expansion of container of the containerization platform? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you, you can still use infrastructure as code without containers, but obviously most, most people are. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, if you are treating your configuration scripts and your sort of... Um, declarations for your infrastructure and the way the applications get deployed as code and they're checked into a repository then it's natural for a developer to take ownership of that piece as well mm -hmm. and uh at the end of the day it is just code right you've got a, a yaml file or, or a terraform file which has a bunch of instructions in it yeah and just like any other code like java or javascript there can be uh, bugs or misconfigurations in it as well. For example, you may leave sort of network ports open or you may expose files inadvertently or you, you may be running workloads as a privileged user or as root, right? Which okay. is not ideal, right? Because if those, you know, containers or applications get hacked, then people can do nasty things, right? Yeah. So what the, what the Sneak Infrastructure as Code product is doing is looking for patterns within in those files. So we support Terraform, CloudFormation, Kubernetes, YAML, and Helm charts uh, at the moment. And it's, it's, it's looking for areas where 
people might um, be lazy or, or you know forget to uh, do things like um, encrypt passwords or you know they may leave security private security keys in the okay. file, uh, which is often you know how a lot of these attacks are happening in, in production, right? Yeah, okay, and that, that's a really good use case. And I think this is the bridge, and I wanted to touch on it later on, but I think this is the bridge where, you know, infrastructure guys who are doing more, more coding for, for infrastructure as code, they're, they're consuming infrastructure in that way. You're right. It's kind of, again, the case of let's just try and deploy something. I've, I've copied this particular Terraform example from a GitHub repository. I'm porting it across. I'm going to change a couple of settings. And now I'm going to use it for my own infrastructure, right? There's inherent security risks in there. It's almost like you're just trusting, you know, other people have put in there. So this is where I think Sneak has this crossover effect. So, you know, obviously the dev, the dev sec world is significant, but I think for a lot of infrastructure guys moving forward, you know, where they really have to be aware of what they're deploying, how they're deploying it, and then is it secure as well? So if this comes into play at, at that bottom level before everything's deployed, then it's obviously going to be, um, you know, useful for them as well. So, I think that's pretty cool. So you're covering effectively all the yeah, gambits. Just, just on that. Yeah, go ahead. Just a good example for the listeners maybe is um, the solar winds attack, right? Yeah. Happened because, you know, a file was deployed in GitHub with the, with the password and plain text. Um, the password being solar winds one, two, three. But um, that, that allowed attackers to get into a build server and inject yep. the malware after the, after the software was built, right? And yep. then distribute through the software supply chain. Supply chain, yeah. So that's, a, that's a sort of example of a misconfiguration, if you will, in, in infrastructure skips, uh, uh, scripts that, you know, obviously having a tool like Sneak would have would have found. Yeah, and actually funnily enough, so I've, I did that myself. Um, I wrote a blog post on it and I get, I get kind of reminded of it quite often, um, but effectively I I was doing some Terraform stuff and I uploaded um, a, bit of, a bit of code to GitHub and I left my AWS secret and part, uh, secret key and access key in there. Um, realize, realized within, you know, literally within three minutes, I realized what I'd done. Because I saw it up there. I'll like, just delete it. It's too late. Um, it, everyone, it had wow. been scraped. Uh, and within five minutes, my account had been locked out. Um, the guys came in and built like infrastructure all around the world. I had a $20,000 bill <laughs> within a couple of minutes. Um, it was obviously that ended up okay. I didn't have to pay $20,000. But it was a really great example of what you just talked about at a, at a smaller level, right? Which I think happens quite often, you know, accidental uploads of a secret key. It's something that you can do really easily. So if you've got something that says, hey, don't do that, or hey, you've, you're doing this, are you sure you want to continue? That's got power and utility as well, right? Exactly, yeah. All right, so I guess rounding out the history, we were still kind of talking about history, but I wanted to talk about the acquisitions because it's, it's so, like it just shows where you guys are heading. I think the strength of the company again, seven hundred fifty million dollars worth of funding, Series E. But what is it? Four acquisitions as well within that time. Yeah, four, basically four within the last eighteen months, actually. Wow. Okay, so four within yeah. eighteen months. And and what what's the kind of what type of companies are you acquiring? Are, are they are they in a similar space, yeah. or are they something that you, you guys want to you don't have and you want to add to your portfolio? What, what's the kind of nature of those acquisitions? One was sort of an acquihire. So Manifold was sort of a multi-cloud service marketplace. Uh, we acquired those guys mainly for the engineering talent to build out our platform at scale. I'll cool. talk about sort of the platform side in, in a minute. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so that was more for the sort of engineering talent. 
one was Greenkeeper, which was an open source dependency scanning tool, very similar to our uh, open source scanning tool. So again, sort of acquiring that IP and then the developers for that project. Uh, next, we acquired late last year, a company called DeepCode, uh, which was a leader in the SAST space. SAST is uh, software, uh, sorry, static application security testing. So that's scanning proprietary or custom code. Um, okay. and that's really how we added our fourth product, Sneak Code, for doing the static code analysis um, for, for customers sort of proprietary code. And then we, we acquired a, just recently, um, a few months back, a company called Foss ID, uh, which is a pretty small company, also in the open source scanning uh, sort of market. But they had some interesting sort of IP that we wanted. One was they scanned legacy code like C++, C, and even okay. COBOL, actually. Cool, okay, um, okay. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how many folks are building, you know, cloud native applications in uh, yeah. COBOL these days, but anyway. I was going to say, if you, if, you were, if you were to mention like Pascal or something, I'd be like, oh, that's even more. I, it, 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 it uses a different approach without getting into the sort of details, but it can scan sort of any file on a file system, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Whereas we focus more on the, the package managers. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. So, but FOSS ID had another pretty cool feature called open source snippets. So, I mean, I, I was developing code for more than 10 years, right? I'm definitely guilty of this. So going on to Stack Overflow and copying, copying and pasting code and you're putting it into my IDE and just, you know, making sure it works and then checking it into the GitHub and off you go without really sort of, understanding the inherent risks of that block of code, right? It could have vulnerabilities. So FOSS ID sort of scans these block of codes with a knowledge database to determine uh, the hash or the signature of that code to see if it's a match and therefore sort of, you know, tell you that this code has a vulnerability. It may have like a SQL injection or cross-site scripting or something in the code. So yep. you need to know about that. Um, and FOSS ID also uh, was pretty good at the compliance and governance side, looking at sort of open source license usage. So that, they're the sort of primary um, features or reasons why we, we acquired them. Yeah. Um, they're a pretty small company, only about 30 to 40 people globally. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so just, just adding, but like you're saying, like seeing, if, seeing what some companies are doing really well from their focus and just taking it on and inquiring, it, that's the nature of acquisitions, right? It's, it's filling those spaces. And interesting to see that you've already, like I saw the code um, up there as a product. So quick integration as well, basically as well, and a flip around to really oh, bring yeah. them into yeah. the company, yeah. Um, so you oh, mentioned- One the, thing, oh, just, just on the deep code thing, which might be interesting as well. Um, one of the cool features they had, and one of the reasons why we acquired them is, they use artificial intelligence and they scan hundreds of thousands of open source projects online on the internet, on GitHub and other places, and sort of um, recognize different patterns. When, when an open source project had a vulnerability, how was it fixed? How was it patched? And using that information uh, tries to reduce the noise or the, we call them false positives for the developers so they can focus on the true you know, vulnerabilities rather than getting thousands of alerts, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so it helps to get more accuracy in that and, and you know, makes the, makes the developer's job a little bit more easier in that okay. sense. 
Good stuff. Awesome. Um, you mentioned the platform before. So talk a little bit about the platform. Um, maybe talk about how what, what, what the actual app application is like how do, how do you is it a is there a, is there a control plan where people log in and they basically deploy agents or insert um plugins how does it actually do its thing um, across the board yeah good question yeah so we've accumulated all this ip and you know we have four sort of ind individual products although somewhat interrelated right uh especially like you know iac and containers uh and even open source right um but we do have sort of platform level features that cut across all the different solutions, right? Um, things like license compliance, uh, things like the ability to set policies across all of your projects, no matter you know, which type of project across your organization. Uh, so we're investing a lot in that sort of platform side. No, but it's, it's delivered basically over, uh, as a SaaS product. Okay. So you sign up and, and we support most of the major Git uh, source control systems. So GitHub um, or Git Enterprise, if you're doing Git on-prem, on um, GitLab, Bitbucket from Atlassian, you know, Azure, uh, Repos. Uh, so most of the sort of source control systems that folks are using out there. And basically you, you point sneak at your repos and you start importing projects. Now, the interesting thing is that if you have a project that has all of the elements I talked about. So, uh, you know, obviously we'll have code, right? So we'll scan the code. It, it's definitely gonna have open source libraries as well. So we'll scan those. It, it probably has like a Docker file too, the definition of the container. So we'll scan mm -hmm. that. Uh, and it probably has um, your infrastructure as code, like a, a YAML file for Kubernetes or Terraform file in the, in the repo itself. This is what I meant by developers taking ownership because they're the ones in control of that repo. Yeah, um, yeah. and so they, Correct. They sort of defined how this is going to get deployed uh, on all the different pieces. So we will scan all of those at, at once and give you sort of a breakdown of here are the open source vulnerabilities. Here are the potential vulnerabilities that are going to be in the container once it gets constructed. And it's not just the sort of base image in the container, it's the user layer as well, like any software that gets installed as part of the Dockerfile uh, definition. Um, here's the vulnerabilities you're going to get in your IAC layer as well. Um, and then of course the, the code analysis, static code analysis. It's all in, it's all in one sort of view at yeah. a project level. Okay. Yeah. Which, which I guess in the past, you know, well, even just thinking historically, it's always hard to do if you've got all these different bits and pieces. And I guess infrastructure as code and this new dev led app, application development time that we're in, it's all coming together anyway. So, you know, if, if Sneak can basically see that holistically and then pr uh, produce reports and scanning across every gamut from start to finish, that's fundamentally different to where we've been in the past with regards to application development, infrastructure deployment, that sort of thing. So I guess you're, you guys are taking yeah. advantage of where we are as well today. Yeah, I mean, the, if you look at the market, it's quite fragmented. There's a lot of sort of best of breed or bespoke tools in each of those different categories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got your, your check marks uh, and Veracode sort of focusing on the on the code analysis. You've got your black ducks and your white source sort of focusing on the open source piece. Uh, you've got your Aquasec and your twist locks focusing more on the containers, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So companies or, you know, our, our customers out there previously would need to choose, you know, four different vendors to cover all the, all the sort of functions that Sneakers providing. Um, 
and yeah, some of our products are quite new, like the IAC and the, and the sneak code, um, but they're getting you know heavy investment and they'll be up to speed with the other vendors out there in those individual spaces. But there is a tremendous value of sort of taking the whole platform because yeah. um, there's a lot of crossover and insights you can get uh, from you know all of the different areas, if you will. Good stuff. So let's 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 talk a little bit about just to sort of wrap up some of the fundamentals of the industry, right? Like um, the buzzword, you know, DevSecOps. I mean, for the longest time it was DevOps, um, and then SecOps, and then they've kind of come together in, in DevSecOps. Like we, we love mashing these sorts of new spaces together, and what what it best does is create this sort of uh, sort of FOMO sort of situation. Like holy crap. DevSecOps, I need to know about that, but what is it? So, so what is it to you guys? What's DevSecOps? Yeah, I think um, sort of at a high level, it's really thinking about the application uh, security and, and the infrastructure security for that matter um, at the very start of the development process. Another way of saying this is shift left, shifting left. You may have heard shift of that. Shift left, okay. But it's not just about that. It's also automating the security gates along the process uh, so that you can still go fast. So there's a, if you look at the software development lifecycle, there's a number of sort of uh, key uh, integration points uh, that you need to think about. So first one is at the IDE, so the developer's tool that they use, things like Visual Studio uh, or VS Code or uh, IntelliJ from the, you know, JetBrains, most popular idea for writing Java code. Um, we want to integrate directly in that tool so developers can get insight about the code they're developing or open source usage that they have right from the start of when they you know, create a project and, and start building features, right? Uh, almost in real time uh, before they check in any code into the source control because it's, it's cheaper to do it then, right? Yeah. But then... The next piece is around the source source control itself, right? So think of GitHub, developers checking in stories, uh, checking in code uh, after develop, developing stories into into the repository, uh, along with you know other teams and other developers checking in in the same place. You you, you want to scan the security at that point as well, um, because uh, you know things may not get caught on the IDE, the developer, when the developer's yeah. writing the code, um, especially in the context with uh, everyone else's code, when you start building the project, um, you, there might be other security concerns that sort of pop up. So you need to scan it there. Once, once you get through that, um, you're probably going to use some sort, sort of CI CD tool to automate the, the building and the integration testing and the deployment of the code itself. Uh, so we need to check, check the code again there. This is when you're, uh, typically containers start getting built. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, from the definitions that was, that's in the repo. And we, we, we would have got an idea of any security vulnerabilities from that Docker file. Uh, but there are other ways of building containers that don't have a definition. You may have heard of cloud native build packs. This is basically building from source. So you take, given your source code, I'm going to build a container for you. Um, but I think still, folks are still sort of relying on that Docker file definition. Either way, what we want to do is scan the container after it's been built as well. Yeah. Uh, typically, folks will use a container registry. So, you know, if you're using GCP, uh, GCR, Google Container Registry, 
Uh, there's the equivalent on Amazon and Azure as well. And we want to connect to those registries and sort of scan the container images before they get deployed. Okay. Um, and then finally, once those containers get deployed into a prod-like environment, or even in production, probably to a, like a Kubernetes environment, yeah. we want to actually connect to the cluster and scan scan those uh, containers again there. Because there is a chance they get changed, there's configuration drift, or like in the uh, SolarWinds example, um, people were able to inject a malicious payload after the uh, package had been built, right? Okay, so yeah. we want to check it again when it gets into production. Um, and then, of course, we also want to check the infrastructure's code scripts uh, before we deploy any anything to production. So right. I guess to, to sort of come back to the DevSecOps, it's automating all those sort of touch points and integration points along the whole SDLC so that it doesn't cause friction and developers can basically do what they have always done, even though the security piece is there. Yeah. But you know, deploy, deploy quickly, deploy often, but you know, stay secure. Yeah. And any, I mean, you've kind of highlighted a new acronym for me, which is CNAS or you know, cloud native application security. So this is the yeah. this is the world, right? This is the world that we're in now. Cloud native application security. It's where Sneak lives. And you know the, the the role of the security person has changed a little bit in this in this new world. I mean, what, what's your biggest take on how that role has changed in terms of SNAS, CNAS, CNAS? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, many security folk out there may feel a little bit threatened. I guess that the developers getting all this power, but they they really should embrace it. Um, you see a lot of organizations now setting up what's called an AppSec team. Yeah, okay. Which is, which is obviously the collaboration between the applications and security teams. And, and, and it's a whole new career path for, for folks who specialize in AppSec, application yeah. security. Which is, the, and the role of that team really is to stand up and support the tooling and the infrastructure uh, for the developers so they can have a good security posture. Right, and it's educating developers on what good security looks like in their code. Um, so I would say these folks are sort of, uh, you know, cross developers, cross infrastructure, cross security people. So probably a bit of a unicorn, but yeah. um, you know, security folks who sort of want to want to also get into you know scripting and programming. I think that's a good career path. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned like fear of, you know, developers taking over their jobs, because um, I think to a certain extent, you look at the other side of that in the infrastructure and platform side, and there's certainly that feeling with a lot of um, more traditional, you know, infrastructure guys where they feel like developers are coming and cutting into their turf, um, you know, and, and if you can't code, then you're pretty much on, on the scrap heap. So it's an interesting that from the security side of things, there's similar sentiment taking place, right? So I think, I think the biggest takeaway from that is that, you know, we all have to evolve a little bit. We all have to understand the world that's, that, that's changing, that's being driven by the software, you know. And then obviously because it's software driven, devs have more relevance. But then we also need to be aware end to end of what that actually means from a platform deployment perspective, an ongoing maintenance perspective, a security perspective. So, yeah, these worlds are coming together, which is why I guess these acronyms are, are coming together as well. DevSec, Plat, Ops, Sec, whatever, the, whatever it's going to be next, right? Um, yeah. It's quite interesting. So let's just let's just wrap up by focusing back on Sneak again, and you know maybe just 
question I ask, you know, many companies I have on the show is, you know, how did you guys disrupt the market initially? What was what was that sort of moment or that that sort of moment of disruption that people go, okay, well, let's let's take sneak seriously. Yeah, I think it goes back to you know Guy Pajani's vision around being a dev first security company. I mean, one of the main reasons I joined Sneak is, and I don't have a strong security background. I've, I've been there and um, it's been present in the sort of projects I've done and, and the companies I work for, but I wouldn't say I'm a security expert. Yeah. Right? I'm, I come from definitely more the software engineering discipline and, and sort of cloud architecture, that, that type of world. But you, you kind of, um, you can't ignore security th- these days, right? And um, probably back when I was coding ten years ago, maybe you could sort of get away with it. And and you know, I hate to think how much of my code actually had vulnerabilities that did yeah. go to production. <laughs> don't look, don't look. Well, <laughs> um, but, but you know, I never got hacked, so that, that was the main thing. But um, these days, you know, obviously cybersecurity attacks are happening more and more often, so you yeah. you can't take the risk. Um, but no, I mean, I think the reason why Sneak got such uh, rapid adoption is that it was built for developers by developers so that they're quite familiar with the, with the tooling. Um, as I said, it, it's sort of almost invisible, doesn't get in their way, but it's there when they need it, right? And it's advising them on uh, maybe how should they should refactor the code or maybe choose different libraries, for example, or how they should construct containers, right? Um, it, it's there as sort of a coach Whereas traditionally in this market, the other uh, tooling vendors provide these hard gates and they would send back, you know, a spreadsheet, if you will, with thousands of lines of vulnerabilities in it to the developer to go fix the code. And without any context of um, the, the project or the application or, you know, where that code lives or why, why I need to change it. Right? And, and, most developers would just bin that, right? But Sneak sort of goes one step further. Not only is it integrated, integrated in the tools, it does this process called uh, auto-remediation, right? Okay. So if, if there's a vulnerability, it will create a pull request um, in the source control system, such as GitHub, um, such that the developer need only sort of accept or reject the pull request, right? Um, and what it does is, for in the case of open source, we figure out what is the next safest version of a library that has been patched that is a minor sort of release, not a major because that may cause yeah. breakages, but what is the safest minor release where the vulnerability has been patched, right? We do the heavy lifting to sort of work that out for the developer because it, it can be quite complicated, right? As I said before, you've got your direct dependencies in the application, but most of the vulnerabilities exist within the what we call transient or indirect dependency and there could be thousands of those right you don't really know what's there but providing this sort of uh, bill of materials or this this um view on the dependency and and where the actual vulnerabilities are um and providing that sort of auto pull request removes 95 percent of the heavy lifting for developers and that and they love it and that's why they use it because yeah. You know, the, the work is the, the hard work is done for them yeah and that's and that's again i think it, it best shown in the demo videos because I, I, there's one specific example there where there's someone writing their code they've integrated in, into visual studio code they do a check 
using Sneak, it basically highlights a vulnerability in a particular build of an open source you know, component. They go in there, they change the version number to the one that Sneak says is the one that's been patched and pretty much happy days from there. So yeah, I'll definitely link to that and show you that. That's, that's great. I think you know, you, you've, you've talked about how you've disrupted. It's pretty plain to see how you guys are looking for future disruption. You, you guys are growing at a tremendous rate. So yeah, I was really happy to have you guys on and kind of bridge a bit of the gap between, you know, firstly, my understanding of what you guys do, but then I think for people listening, um, you know, in that, in that traditional infrastructure space, what exactly you guys offer and no, make no mistake, there's going to be intersection um, between these worlds moving forward. It's just, it's just going to happen, right? That's the way software is eating the world. Businesses are relying on software more and more. Um, security has become an issue, malicious intent, insider attack, um, the sophistication of ransomware. It's, it's just the time. So snakes there at the, at the right time for that. So, so now, you know, I was, I was waiting to say that. So yeah, that rolled off way too easy. Way to end. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Top, top, top work there. Um, all right. So um, I'll just wrap up. I think I, I wanted to, I, I saw that you guys have got a conference coming, uh, SneakCon in 2021. Um, it's online, but that's in October, October 5th. Just maybe a quick plug for that and then I'll, I'll wrap up. Yeah, uh, definitely sign up, come along. You'll hear uh, some of our key folks in the organization, Guy Bajani and, and a few other execs uh, speaking that event, uh, as well as international and local customer speakers that we have from Sneak. So you get some good insights into how some of our customers are using Sneak at scale uh, within the region. Customers like uh, Afterpay, Atlassian, customers um yeah so we got some good uh brand names there as well awesome good stuff mate no worries well look that, that was a great conversation i really enjoyed it um again um if you'd like to appear on great things with great tech um you can click on the link on the show notes um in the show notes again i will list everything that we've talked about with regards to the demos and a little bit more information about sneak in general um, again if you aren't subscribed or you're new to the show and you like what you hear please click the subscribe button um, and catch up on all previous episodes on either YouTube or on the podcast platforms. And with that, I'd like to thank Lawrence and thank Sneak. And we will see you next time on Great Things with Great Tech. Cheers, Anthony. Thank you. Cheers, mate. All right. Let me stop the recording. <laughs>